Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. In verse 31 of Luke chapter 4, Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. With authority, exousia, with all the authority of heaven and earth behind him, he stood up and he spoke there in Capernaum. Now, if you're mindful of what we just finished reading, okay, a couple verses earlier, Jesus had gone back to Nazareth, to his hometown where he grew up, and he was given the scroll of Isaiah, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And as you recall, the reaction of everybody was they were frustrated, furiated. They thought he was claiming to be God, they thought he was saying he's Messiah. Well, the reality is he is, and he was, and that's what happened. And it says in verse 28, So those in the synagogue, when he heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over a cliff. Then he, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Okay, not the best audience he's probably ever had. Verse 31, then he went down to Capernaum, okay? As we had seen in last week's study, Capernaum is where he has set up his headquarter on the north coast of the Sea of Galilee. Um, it's a major city along the Via Maris, the road that runs from basically Egypt to the Middle East. So a lot of traffic along this way. Capernaum there on the north coast of the sea was kind of a, a, a little bit of a cosmopolitan kind of a place. And it says that he, set, he, he went to that city. It's fun. Cheryl and I, when we visited Israel, you go into city, and there at the gates, when you go inside, it's uh, wonderful, just ruins everywhere of where the synagogue was, where Peter's mother-in-law's house was. There's the coast. You can walk down to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And there's so many things that you can see in there. But it says on the gate as you go in, Capernaum, city of Jesus, okay? Because this was his, this is where he hung out. And the bulk of Luke's gospel is going to detail his ministries in this region. And this is kind of his headquarters. So he's in headquarters, okay? And he's in, in the city of Galilee, the region around uh, uh, Lake Gennesaret or Tiberias, that, that, that lake we call the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he was teaching them on the Sabbath. We've already saw that last week. What does Jesus do? He preaches, he teaches, he heals. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach glad tidings, right? And to heal and to set it loose, those who are bound. And so this is Jesus' MO. This is what he does. Not only was that anointing prophesied by Isaiah 700 years earlier, but as the Spirit lit upon him at his baptism and the Father's voice came out of, husband, this, out of heaven, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, then he got busy about his Father's business. And this is what he does. He preaches and he teaches. So he's in the synagogue and he's teaching them now on the Sabbath. This is plural, okay? So it's not just one particular Saturday of some random month, but it's a, it was his habit. It was his policy. He was a regular visiting rabbi 
and he, they would ask him, could you please teach? And can you imagine? Wouldn't it be cool just to be there, right? Uh, it's wonderful to go into that, that uh, synagogue. It's there off the shores of the Sea of Galilee, several hundred yards inland, but nevertheless just kind of in the middle of the city. And you can see the old basalt um, stones that were the original foundation in which this synagogue was built. Later on, it was rebuilt over, and it's got marble, and it's beautiful. It's got these big pillars, and you can walk inside, and, and, you, and the size, the dimensions, the footprint's the same size. You can really imagine what it must be like, and the nature of the way that that would have been open out to the air. You'd see the coast off there in the, you know, not too far distance, and fishermen, well, probably not plying the waters on the Sabbath. Shouldn't it be anyway, right? Um, but a uh, wonderful, beautiful, tropical setting. An interesting thing most people don't really grasp if you've never been there. The Sea of Galilee sits below sea level, okay? And so it's quite tropical. They, they grow mangoes and bananas around the shore of the Sea of Galilee, okay? So it's, it's a wonderful paradise type of a place. And here he is, and he's teaching. And it says they were astonished. Expresso is the word. They were shocked. They just couldn't believe the authority of his teaching. Now, most rabbis, when they would get up to teach, they would open up the scroll, as we saw last week. They would read from the scroll. They'd close the scroll. They'd sit down, and then they'd start talking. But what they would start doing is quoting all of the Mishnah, all of the traditions, all of the rabbi sayings down through the air. Wise old Gamaliel says this about that passage. And they would just start quoting all the other commentators, right? Lots of commentators, some more common than others haters right <laughs> but but that's that's not uncommon even i do it okay i'll probably quote somebody today okay and we look at some of our our uh fathers in the faith that we were raised up under and we say well you know pastor chuck smith i heard him say this once or something and we'll pass that along but jesus spoke like he wrote it jesus spoke like he knew what he was talking about okay like he, could, he had the authority, but we know that, right? John tells us in the opening verse of the gospel, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, okay? He had the authority. He was God. And then it says in verse 14 of John chapter 1, and we beheld His glory, full of grace and truth, as of the only begotten of the Father. Power full of grace, full of truth. He spoke with authority. He spoke with power. And everybody was like, wow, you know, just, just to be in his presence. You know, we have that this morning. Not me, but we've got the Holy Ghost, okay? Christ's Spirit dwells in each of us. And as we open up the Word, the living Word, and allow God to speak into our heart, it's like we're having an audience in the throne room of grace it's amazing and so here they are and it says by his word they were shocked for at his teaching for his word was with authority now uh, we're going to get into some healings and some exorcisms here and it's going to get a little bit heavy and i'm going to kind of dance in this department for a little while this morning okay so um just as i said buckle up now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. 
And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed, I imagine, and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they came out. And the report about him went into every region or every place in the surrounding region. All around, people are just talking. The sound was just voiced everywhere. You know what happened in church this morning? Wow, it was amazing, right? And, and people are just can't stop talking about it. What did Jesus do this morning? And I tell you what, right now, if you will, <laughs> you can come and tell your testimonies. What did Jesus do to you or for you? Or what did you see Jesus do to somebody else this week? And you talk amongst one another, and you'll find out that he is really at work here in uh, southern Idaho, you know, not the whole planet Earth, but there's stuff going on. The women's retreat, a lot of ladies just, you know, the, the, just down deep in the roots were touched and changed and, and <laughs> pure word is exploding, okay? Our redemption ministries on uh, Friday nights and, and youth group, or well, yeah, youth group on Wednesday, there was like 15 20 kids it's amazing and the the clubhouse the king's kids clubhouse we're slammed you know we could use help okay we've got some good helpers we've got some good helpers but god's bringing the kids they're here okay and uh it's just amazing if you're interested you know you can see jasmine and frankie and uh we can we can talk to you about how could you help us with these ministries because god is at work okay and so you know, we talk about it. That's why some of you are here. You heard somebody tell somebody else, you know what's going on down there? The spring jaw to come. Well, that's going on here, okay? Here it happens to be a man with an unclean spirit, the spirit of a demon, it says. I want to just kind of cover a little bit of demonology 101 with you, okay? Just to kind of get a general, this is a thumbnail sketch of demons. I'm going to take you to Revelation chapter 12. And it's just a, uh, a passage. You probably want to go there and follow me on this a little bit. But it says in Revelation chapter 12, beginning at verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. That's what Satan, Satan literally translates into, is accuser. The accuser of our brethren. I'm sorry, that's what devils, Diablos translates into, accuser. Okay, Satan is adversary. The accuser of our brethren who occurs them before our God day and night has been cast down. So, a couple things we can pick up here. Angels, Satan, demons, they came from heaven. They were created beings. They're part of God's created order. Just like humanity is part of God's created order. They're different, they're distinct, but they are created, okay? And they can only do what God allows them to do including Satan himself. And unlike God, who is omnipresent and omnipotent and omniscient, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, they have limited power. They can only be in one place at one time, and they don't know all that. But I will tell you this, Satan knows the Bible really well. And here we see 
back in Luke chapter 31, you don't have to flip there, I'm just pointing it out, Satan comes to synagogue that morning, right? There's a man with an unclean spirit, one of these demons in there. Now, the demons literally are more like the minions, okay? Uh, Satan's minions. Um, when he was cast out of heaven, he took a third of the angels with him to earth, as we read back there in Revelation. But it says in verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of Jesus Christ on the cross totally takes out Satan. They came over, overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus did it, and by the word of their testimony. I believe Jesus is the Christ. I believe that he died for my sins, was buried, and raised again in the resurrection power, and that I am going to heaven as a follower of Jesus Christ, a child of God. I'm signed, sealed, delivered, heaven bound, okay? And they did not love their lives to the death. Always look into the temporal, the things around us, the material world. And you know, death for us is just a portal. It's just a door that we walk through into eternity. We'll be going along one day and it'll be like the blink of an eye. We'll look up and we'll be looking into his eyes. And we'll be there, okay? And, and we have nothing to fear, okay? So the demons, they, they go about, you know, and they, they do their very best. James tells us that you believe in demons. Well, you do well. You know, even the demons believe in God. But they tremble. They realize that they're impotent against him. And we read in 1 John, in chapter 4, that um, it says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn. I'm sorry. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. That was not the verse I quoted. I was going to go to John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. Um, in 1 John chapter 4, we read this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So Christian, a couple other things on these demons. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord? Have you accepted him as your Savior? Do you believe in your heart that just as he was raised from the dead, your sins are forgiven and you are now clean and ready to enter heaven and by the power of his spirit, you're going to heaven? Do you believe that? If you believe that, you have the spirit of Christ in you and that is greater than the enemy, okay? And so in all these things that we're gonna read about this morning, just no, we've already overcome. We already have the victory. In Romans chapter 8, I love this passage. I can't get there quick enough. You probably know where I'm going here, some of you. Um, in Romans chapter 8, 
and pick up at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's a good question. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Got it? Solid? Okay, so here we've got Satan comes to synagogue, okay? The devil's in church, and what are we going to do with him? Well, Jesus confronts him. It's funny. He, he says, um, um, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? The enemy knows who Jesus is. The en enemy knows who you are. When you confess Jesus as Lord and you join his team, he knows who you are, okay? It, but he asked Jesus, what do you have to do with us? Did you come to destroy us? Um, and, uh, but Jesus says to him, be quiet. Literally, it's be muzzled. Um, a less kind way of saying it, and I wouldn't say that he said it quite this way, but he said it with the force, the, the, the gravity, the power, shut up. That's what it came across like that morning in the synagogue. When he says, be muzzled, bam. It's just like a dog, and you just throw a muzzle on it. There ain't, nothing's coming out. He shut them up, okay, just by telling them to shut up, okay? And they, it says, he says, be quiet, come out of him, be muzzled, and come out. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him, and it did not hurt him, okay? This is what's known as exorcism, okay, or drawing something out and, and Jesus draws this demon out of this man. Now, going on even more into this, this demonology 101 or whatever, you're with me in church. Here we are, Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. It's where we are today. I'm going to talk to you about demons. Do I talk to you about demons every Sunday? No. Do you hear me talk to you about demons often? When do you hear me talk about demons? When it's in the Word. When that's what we're covering for the morning, that's what we're going to talk about, okay? And so this morning, this is what we are talking about. But just know, we're not demon hunters, okay? We don't think there's a demon hiding behind every bush. I don't think that like, oh, I'm going to cast out the demon of tobacco, the demon of alcohol, the demon of caffeine, the demon of fill in the blank. You know, most of that you do fine all by yourself. You don't need a demon. Okay? We read... Again, James talks about um, blesses the man who endures temptation, right? Temptation comes your way. We saw Satan tempt Jesus in the last chapter, drove him into the wilderness. Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness. There alone, Satan's trying to work him. Jesus rebukes him every time it is written. Thus says the Lord, the word of God says, and every time he shuts Satan down with the word of God. And he has no power over him. It says Satan then leaves him for a more opportune time. I'm coming back when you least expect it. So you know when it's going to be? No, you don't. Nobody knows because it's when you least expect it. But he's coming back. 
and you can count on it. That's why you need to be prepared every day. Uh, in some forms of the church, I know back in the day, they would talk about, are you prayed up? Did you get prayed up today, right? It's like maybe your uh, electric car or whatever, or were you plugged in? Did you, um, did you start your morning in prayer, in devotion, in songs and hymns and spiritual songs? Have you spent time with God and made sure that you're topped up, you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're ready for the day? Because you can be sure that Satan is going to, he knows your name, he knows your number, he knows how to play you. He, the playbook, remember, we saw it not only in the temptation with Jesus, but also uh, with Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden, right? We read about it in 1 John um, chapter 2, verse 16. He, he, Satan has three basic plays he runs on us all the time. You remember what they are? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And he just runs those plays over and over and over, and he doesn't have to get very creative. You know why? Because those three work. They, they, he, he nails us all the time with them. Even though we know better, <laughs> it's when you least expect it, and you're not prayed up, and he just gets you in one of those moments where you're just not quite ready, and all of a sudden, you're dealing with trouble. But it's temptation. He throws all these temptations at you, okay? James says, blesses the man who endures temptation, because you know what happens. Temptation, when you give into it, that produces sin. Temptation isn't a sin. Being tempted is not a sin. The world's going to tempt you. Satan's going to tempt you. But it's what you do with that. So it's really not the devil that is doing that. It's just you caving and saying, yeah, yeah, it feels good. It feels good. Do it. Right? Not necessarily. In fact, more often than not, your feelings will mislead you, okay? And when sin conceive, it gives birth to death. And so we just don't go down that track. So here's this demon-possessed man. Jesus says to him, be quiet, cast the demon out. Everybody's shocked. Whoa, wow. The guy's in his right mind. He's normal again. That's what happens here at church. It happens at Pure Word. It happens in children's ministry this morning. It happens everywhere. It's not because we cast a demon out, but we just shine the light on on whatever the situation is in our heart. You know, there was a, uh, a comedian back in the day. What was his name? Skip Wilson? Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson. I can't always get that wrong, right? And you, anybody remember what he used to say? This is for old folks. You young people don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the devil made me do it, right? Okay. The devil has no power over a Christian. Now, he can, all these minions swirling about tempt you, he can oppress you, okay? He can make your life miserable by just bringing all kinds of junk your way. He can do that. That's oppression, right? We see that in the case of Job, okay? In the book of Job, in the Bible, he's an upright and righteous guy. God says, do your best, Satan, have Adam but I know he's not going to fail me, and Job did not. But we see the peak behind the curtain, and Satan just, just unloads on him and all kinds of oppression. But greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. The, the devil can never possess you. It cannot take control of your soul. You are always in control. As a Christian, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is self-control. You say yes, and you say no, and you make choices according to what it is that you choose to do, okay? So you can't be going around blaming the devil. The devil made me do it, okay? It isn't that way. So anyways, the report 
about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. It says, now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of her, him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever. Okay, he st sternly talked to the fever. Okay, have you ever talked to a fever before? Try it. He stood, rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. I just love this. A couple little tidbits in all this, okay? It's fun if you go to Capernaum and visit there from the synagogue. It's, it's not much more of a walk than from the stage to the sound booth to Peter's mother-in-law's house. And now they built a big church over the ruins where it is. And so to really see the ruins really well, you can, you can kind of go to the church. It's built up so you can look and you can see there's the ruins out there. Or they've actually built this big old glass floor in the church. So you walk into the church and you can look down into where this, this house would have been. Okay, It's basically ruins, but that's where it was. That's where this is taking place. And so Jesus just kind of moseys on over after synagogue for lunch. He's at Pete's house, okay, and it comes to his knowledge that, you know what, my mother-in-law is sick with a fever. What would the mother-in-law normally be doing when they come into the house? Preparing the meal, serving them, taking care of them, but she couldn't, okay? She was waylaid, came to Jesus' attention, so he rebukes the spirit, sternly tells it, go, and it goes, okay? Uh, two little things in this, I think, that are interesting. For starters, it is Peter's mother-in-law, okay? There is a tradition that's been down especially, and I'm not picking on it, but it's influenced all of us, the Roman Catholic Church, with the what's known as the celibacy of the priesthood, okay? That priests are not supposed to marry. Well, they have their apostolic succession based on Peter being the first pope, and then next pope, next pope, next pope, next pope, next leader. But here, Peter clearly wasn't celibate. He's married. This is his mother-in-law, okay? And so this idea that these traditions that come into the church, you just want to make sure that you're making distinctions all the time between what the Bible teaches and then what man teaches, okay? And again, I'm not necessarily picking on the Catholic Church, although the reason that that was done, it was done in about the 1100s, is because the church was becoming so corrupt from the inside that it was the Pope's children that kept inheriting the next Pope-hood, and they would get all this money, and you may not know this, but the Roman Catholic Church is re the wealthiest church on the face of the earth, okay? And so as Pope, they were in line for this massive inheritance, and it became just really corrupt. And so uh, a, a better Pope came along and said, you know what, we're going to have a rule, no Popes get married. And so that's where the rule came from. But nowadays, you look at this, and you're like, is that right, that priests shouldn't get married, or pastors do get married? You, it's like, you want to be a Protestant or a Catholic? Well, I don't know. I want to be married. Okay, be a Protestant. <laughs> just a lot of that's just silliness, but I just give you that background because you've probably been exposed to it at some point or another. That's one thing that's clear out of this passage. The other thing is that when she was healed, what did she do? She got up and served them, right? Saved to serve. Do you not know that when Christ saves you, when Christ saved me. It's not so that I could just sit in my pew on my blessed reassurance and wait for the rapture. That's not why we were saved. We're saved to serve. We're saved to be now bound to God, okay? Bound for glory, 
but we are a doulos, a bond servant. We, we serve him out of love, but we are nonetheless bound to God now. And that's a good thing because nobody can pluck us out of his hand, okay? And when you're saved, you're saved to serve. You're healed to help, okay? And quite often, and this is one of the things I find really interesting, is that more often than not, it's where you were or whatever pit you were in that God pulled you out of when he saved you, that's quite often the one that you can help heal others. That's the one where you can go back. And I know a lot of us, and, and I would say, if you've just come out of a pit and God is working on you and new creation in Christ, all things are, are passed away and all things have become new, stay away from the pit, okay? That's not for you. But there will probably come a day as you've been walking on several years with the Lord and, and you're strong in Him that you're going to be able to go back and say, you know what? I know what you're in. I know what you're doing. I've been there, okay? And God pulled me out. And, you know, you can sit and listen to a guy all day long telling you, well, you ought to not do this. You ought to do that. And then and, and your answer in your head is always, yeah, you don't know what I'm going through. Right? That's how we are. Until you meet somebody that just went through what you went through. And they got out. And you're like, how'd you get out? <laughs> Let me tell you about my Jesus. Right? That's, that's why you're saved, to, to serve. You're healed to help and, and to go back and do that. And that's what she does. She hops up and picks some lunch, okay? It says, verse 40, when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various disease brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them and did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. Wow, okay? Sun goes down, and it, all hell breaks loose, it, literally, right? You know, all these minion demons are just like, yeah, yeah, bring, bring, you know, Mike, he really needs some work. You know, Jesus, talk to this guy. You know, and so everybody's bringing all these people. It's interesting, it says, after the sun went down. Why do you think that's important for Luke to write that down? Do you remember what day it was? It was the Sabbath day, okay? And you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. Now, does that stop Jesus from healing on the Sabbath? Not at all, okay? That's his work. <laughs> his healing, he's God, and, and the Sabbath is made for man. It's our day to rest. It's our day to recoup, recover, right? And, and, and to get healthy, and so we need to take that Sabbath rest. But Jesus is working on the Sabbath, but all the people, they don't want to face the ridicule of the rabbis and the synagogue if they're seen or seen to be doing some kind of work. So they wait till sun goes down, okay? So technically, the way this works in Israel, um, or anywhere on the world technically, but if you're in Israel, you can experience it. They wait and they're watching the sky and hopefully it's not cloudy, right? And they're looking for the first three stars to come out. And as soon as they see the first three stars, it's officially evening, which on the Jewish reckoning is the beginning of the next day. Okay, so it's no longer the Sabbath day. Now it's the first day of the week. We know that as Sunday. Okay, now it's Sunday. And because it's now cool, it's kosher, right? The three stars come out. You get six blasts on the shofar. Right? And everybody hears it. It's like, oh, cool. Okay, go get, uh, you know, 
Freaky Bob or whoever, right? You know, and bring them on down. Let's have a, let's have a come to Jesus meeting, right? And so here they are. And it's interesting. We look into uh, Matthew's gospel on this same passage. Um, and it's like it's an all-night healing session, okay? It just goes on and on. And all these, these people are coming. It says, uh, when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases. So it's not just demon possession, but, you know, you got a cold, right? Uh, or whatever, brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. You'll see this in the scripture from time to time, laying on of hands, okay? Laying on of hands is something that quite often we will do. You'll see me pray with people. I'll put my hand on your shoulder when I pray with you. If we're ordaining somebody in the ministry or healing somebody, we'll lay hands on them. Now, there's no magic or hocus pocus is not like power goes from me into you but it's something that we do it's just a it's a it's a, a affiliation it's a connection that we make okay we would just reach out and touch and you know and, and for that moment we can be one in spirit as we come before the father in prayer or healing or whatever we may do i also have anointing oil up here and if you're ever wanting to be uh, anointed for a, a, a sickness or some kind of thing that you're going through. Um, we will anoint you with oil. James tells us in uh, his letter that if any of you are sick, call the elders and let them anoint you and pray for you, okay? Now, we don't do this because there's any magic in the anointing oil. I can tell you what it is. It's olive oil, okay? And it's got a little bit of frankincense and a couple little different uh, perfumes in it, so it smells really good, but it's just olive oil, and we'll anoint you with olive oil, Back in their day, anointing had a more to do with even medicines and making sure that you were taking care of them. But we will just we'll lay hands on you, we'll pray for you, we'll anoint you, as the Bible says. And, and why do we do this? This is what the Bible says. This is how they did it, okay? Do I know or understand all that's behind everything that happens in the Scriptures? There's things the Scriptures tell me to do that I don't always understand how it works. Let me give you an example. Forgiveness. The Bible commands that you forgive one another, right? In the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know what happens at the end of the Lord's Prayer? It doesn't stop. He keeps on going and he says, and if you forgive others, your Father in heaven will forgive you also. But if you fail to forgive others, neither shall your Father in heaven forgive you. It's a command. Do I know how that works? It, it's spiritual. It's something that's going on in the spiritual realm. But he's clearly told us what to do. And so we do it in faith, knowing that he meets us at that point of faith, just like the woman who was healed from a sickness of blood. And she said, if I could just touch the hem of his robe. And in this crowd of people, he's being jostled everywhere. He stops and goes, who touched me? Power went out of me. And the disciples are like, are you kidding me? Everybody's touching you. Right? And the lady comes forward and she goes, it was me. He goes, your faith has made you whole. It's that contact point of faith. And so here's Jesus. He's touching. He's anointing. He's healing. He's speaking. He's teaching. He's preaching. He's doing what he does. And all these things happen. And every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying saying, you are the Christ, the son of God. And he rebuked them. Uh, and did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now, he didn't rebuke them because they knew he was the Christ. That's not why. You read it that way. But they knew he was the Christ. 
but he rebuked them because they were of Satan. We don't share the pulpit with Satan. When you give a testimony, you share with people, what has Jesus done in your life? Tell me about your Jesus. I often instruct people, and, and it's funny, sometimes we'll go on mission trips or something, and I'll say, you need to be prepared to give a testimony, to tell about Jesus to people. But it has to be your testimony, just like they overcame him with the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they weren't afraid of uh, death, right? But your testimony, you give just this little sentence, I was a sinner, Okay. It, and, and you can maybe say a couple things, depending on who your audience is. Maybe you know you're talking to them. Maybe they've suffered uh, divorce or abortion or loss of a loved one or addiction or, or whatever. And you can say, yeah, I, I know that. That's it. That's all you need. You don't give any more airtime or publicity to Satan and what Satan has done in your life. Then you say, and then I met Jesus. And you tell them how you met Jesus. Was it at church? Was it at some kind of an outreach? Were you sitting in your truck listening to the radio and, you know, the word just touched you? How did you meet Jesus? You share that part. And the rest of your testimony, which is like 90% of it, and since then, I'm a new creation. Christ has delivered me. I no longer have guilt. I no longer have shame. I sleep well. He delivered me from this issue or that challenge. I'm still working on this one. But by the grace of his Holy Spirit, he keeps bringing it up to me to help me get back on course. And man, I'm heaven bound. I'm so happy. I can't wait to see Jesus. That's your testimony. Okay? But we don't give publicity or time to the devil. And neither did Jesus. I'm not going to let you turn this church service into a, you know what Satan did to me? thing okay we don't need to hear that we all got our own we just don't need to hear that we're here to hear jesus we're here to hear about what god has done with us you know we've got an opportunity coming up at the end of october october 31st commonly known as halloween which is a contraction of Hall all hallows eve which is originally started with the lutheran church to celebrate all the saints that didn't get celebrated by the Roman Catholic Church, okay? Because there's a lot of saints out there that didn't get any credit. So we'll just have all of the hollows, hallowed, which is the word for saint, we'll have a, an evening where we just celebrate them. Or actually, uh, all hallows e day, which is um, November 1st. And so the evening before, October 31st, is all hallows eve, and then all kinds of pagan traditions and superstitions came in and there's a lot of demonic it's probably the darkest night of the year i know in our culture it's just foul and wicked and full of all kinds of terrible things and um i know you don't need me to preach at you and i don't have any business telling you what to do you know per se you've got to talk to jesus about these things but there's stuff that goes in our community really popular stuff and lots of people love to do it to go there to see it to participate but it's dark it's demonic it's a cult, and you do not want to play with it. You don't want to open those doors. It may seem like fun, just like little kids playing with a Ouija board or somebody just getting a tarot card to just reading their horoscope. But trust me, believe me, okay, uh, it's dark. It's demonic. And one of the things that's so attractive about it is it is powerful. It does have Satan's power backing it up. You play with that stuff and you will see powerful things happen. But it's not giving the glory to God. It's making you feel all pumped up like you're all that, right? And, and you can be sure 
that's not of God. Because anything that's of God will always point back to God. You will decrease, he will increase, and you'll know you're on the right track. Anyways, we don't want to do that. So what do we do on Halloween? We have truth and treat, TNT, as we call it. And uh, we just gather at the Snyder's home in Rupert, and we have a big bonfire. We have hot chocolate and coffee, especially for the parents who are out with their kids trick-or-treating, right? But rather than tricks, we give them the truth. We give them gospels. We share Jesus. We're playing Christian music. We're just loving on them. A bunch of the church family kind of just hangs out there with their kids in their costumes. They always bring nice costumes, not like ghoulish stuff, right? And it's a night to go out and get dressed up and have fun and get a lot of candy and have the truth and the treat, okay? You taste and see God is good. And you need to know you don't have to give up having a good time to be a Christian, okay? And so just an opportunity for all of that. There's lots of ways that we can enjoy a lot of that in our life. Now, I'm going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole with you for just a minute. This is the part where you can turn off the tape or fast forward it or take a quick nap if you don't like what I'm about to say. But we have this stuff going on in the world today, clearly. This isn't just a story about something 2,000 years ago. The world is just being attacked. It says in verse 42, Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. I must be preaching the kingdom of God. He's going all the way around the region of the Galilee or Hagalil. Literally, it means the ring, and it was describing the communities that encircled the Sea of Galilee. Um, some of the principal cities would be Capernaum or Bethsaida, Kersey, Tiberias, um, Magdal, um, Gennesaret, uh, Tabga. These are different cities that he would have been going to their synagogues. He would have been preaching there and, and healing and teaching and preaching and casting out demons because that work, it goes on, okay? As you may have noticed, as a Christian, it's not like he gives up on you. He continues working you, working you, working you. And there's these kingdoms. He says, I must preach the kingdom of God. For this purpose, I was sent. That's, that's what I, I have to do. Let me ask you, Christian, do you know your purpose? Do you know why you were saved? Do you know why you were healed? Do you know what you need to be doing to be about your father's business? If not, ask him, what is it I need to be doing? Right? And, and there's, there's plenty of people that you can come to and just, they'll talk with you. And I wouldn't be surprised. I know in this fellowship, there's a lot of you that are doing it. Right? You know what your purpose is, but there's other people that have no purpose. Not K-N-O-W purpose, but N-O purpose. Jesus knew what his purpose was. His purpose was to preach the kingdom of God. That's why God left me here. Why is it? Don't you think it's silly in a way, you know, if you're like, I'm going to go to heaven anyways. I've confessed Jesus as Lord. He died on the cross. All my sins are forgiven. I'm heaven bound. Why don't we just poof, go away? Wouldn't it be funny? right? Everybody's sitting in church one day, and somebody's just sitting there, and they pray that sinner's prayer, oh, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. Please have mercy on me. And poof, they're gone. Can you imagine what attendance at church would be like? 
I hope it would change, right? <laughs> I must be preaching the kingdom of heaven. There's this battle today, two kingdoms. You know this, darkness and light, okay? And we see it in Jesus' day, the demonic activity, the demented minds. We've got the same thing today, right? In 1973, two really demented, two really demonic things happened in our country. Can you name them? One of them, Roe v. Wade, okay, where we decided that um, legalizing infanticide was a cool thing, okay? And clearly, the Bible teaches us, thou shall not kill. There's a lot of water between the two, but fundamentally, you can't just make it a law that it's okay just to kill people. That's just not, that's not good. You can work out details in the middle, but that was of Satan. That's demonic. You know, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his team. That's how he plays. The other one, and a lot of people may not be aware of this one, but the American Psychiatric Association started marrying politics with science. Not political science, but we've seen it recently in a lot of medical issues, marrying politics with science. And the way this worked is a number of people, as they were uh, in the American Psychiatric Association, got themselves elected to positions of power to the point where they were running it. They happened to be gay. So they came out in 90, 1973 and legitimized homosexuality. Up until that day, it had been an aberration. It had been not normal behavior. And then they came along and they, a bunch of gay guys got themselves elected to the American Psychiatric Association. Says, we're normal, you're normal, we're all good. And it began a big part of the gay agenda, okay? Which has led to all these LGBTQ plus hashtag dollar sign question mark agenda. And we got gender dysphoria and it's, it's rampant in the world today. Transsexualism, right? You're just across the board with all these kinds of things. Well, there's something way worse than that. This is child's play compared to what is on our horizon as I speak to you. Okay, September 12th of 2022, that's two weeks ago, uh, Joe Biden, in his Cancer Moonshot Initiative speech, issued executive order, and this is the title of the executive order, Executive Order on Advancing Biotechnology and Biomanufacturing Innovations for a Sustainable, Safe, and Secure American Bioeconomy. Okay, and this big old move basically boils down to what they would say to buy, promote U.S. biotech sector competitiveness so that we could be more successful in biotechnologies. But if you start reading down through this executive order, and there's point A, B, C, D, or 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way down, what they're fundamentally doing is establishing the development of writing genetic codes and influencing all life, including human life. And uh, it's part of what Moderna was bragging about several years ago. Moderna, M-R-N-A, uh, Moderna, that was where they got their name, M-R-N-A. And they used to say in their papers, we're going to change humanity. If you go to the World Economic Forum, this thing that we just passed two weeks ago in our country, 
comes out of a lot of these things. Uval Harari is the leader in this particular aspect of it, along with Klaus Schwab and all these different world economic forums. But they've been telling us for the longest time the next leap for mankind is what's called transhumanism, okay, which is to take through medicine and with the genetic CRISPR technology, replace parts of our genetic code with the code they write, basically writing software for DNA and changing humans into transhumans, an elevated being. I don't want to go into too much of this. In the bulletin, I've given a couple references you may or may not want to look at. Again, this is Mike. I'm, I'm in a rabbit hole. Don't follow me if you don't want, but I'm telling you, it, you might want to look at it and then come and tell me I'm an idiot, but look at it, okay? His channel, Christian Broadcasting, hischannel.com, the World News Briefing from 9-22-22 with Tom Hughes and Dennis Swick. If you can follow it, because it's meaty, it's chewy, it's deep, it will change your thinking on a lot of what's going on. And also, jdfarag.com, you've heard me reference him often with Prophecy Updates, his September 18th prophecy update called a September to remember is going to go into a lot of details on this and then a lot of it is um, noted you can go to the notes and you can find the documents that these come out of and you can start your own homework my point is in all of this Jesus would say no man knows the day or the hour he goes on to say but as it was in the day of Noah so it will be in the coming of the days of the coming of the son of man in the days of Noah, we read in Genesis chapter 6, that Noah was perfect in all his generations, without blemish, pure, undefiled. In the first part of that chapter, you read about the Nephilim, the, the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and the human race was polluted. And God had to wipe out the whole world because of the corruption of the humans. But he found Noah and his family, and they hadn't been defiled, and they were saved. In all of this, I'm just sharing this idea of <laughs> what the world is going through. One last thing, and then I'll get back to closing up. In fact, I'll bring the worship team up right now. Come on up. Revelation chapter 13 talks about the mark of the beast, okay? Without the mark, you cannot buy, sell, or trade, okay? This is, this is the Antichrist, and it's something that they're going to do, uh, in it, you will take the number of the beast, the number of man, the number will be 666. You've probably heard these different things. But that word for mark in the Greek is charigma. Charigma means to scrawl or to etch or to write. And what we are seeing now is advancing the rewriting of the human genetic code so that we are no longer human but transhuman. And just as Noah was pure and was able to be saved through the flood, through the ark, and repopulate humanity on earth, Jesus Christ is our ark, okay? I know I'm getting out there, and I don't usually talk like this on most mornings. I mean, right? But I just want to bring these things to your attention. You can do your homework, and then you can, I don't know, do what you need to do on all of that. But know this, as Christians, we're safe. This stuff isn't of us. This mark of the beast that's coming uh, is something that is volitional. That means you willingly choose to worship the beast. You say, yeah, I want to get on your train. I don't want to ride 
on God's train. I don't want to hear his word. I don't want to do his way of living. And you switch and you give an allegiance to Satan and you will receive this. And, and again, it's probably going to be so uh, attractive that people are going to want to get it. You'll have to get in line to get it. They're going to sell the world on it's the next best thing since sliced bread. You're going to be a superhuman and leave the rest of us duds in the dark, right? That's how it's going to be sold. All of that to be said, what does Jesus say? When you see these things happening, look up. Look up, for your redemption draws nigh, right? How do we fight our battles? On our knees, in prayer. How do we witness to the community? Stand up, and when you have done all, stand. Pray up, stand up, and look up, okay? Because Jesus is teaching us, and it's not changed, we have been saved to serve. We need to preach the kingdom of heaven. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I know it's a little sobering, but can I get an amen from anybody? <laughs> Father God, I want to thank you for your word, the truth that sets us free. I want to thank you for your son who died for me, who died for the world. I want to thank you, Lord, for your spirit that leads us into all truth. And I would ask, Lord, especially as I have said things that are not of your word, that, Lord, you would just cancel them if I have gone into an area that is not holy and not of you. But help us, Lord, to be prepared for the days that we live in, knowing that the attack is real, that there is spiritual warfare, that it's kingdom versus kingdom, and we are living in dark days. Maybe even today we'll see your face. We'll look into your eyes. Help us, Lord, to be fighting on the right team. Help us to stand up in hope, in joy, in peace, in power and authority. And go, make disciples. Lord Jesus, help us to be about your business. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.